Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We are thankful for the opportunity to be together tonight. And we're going to be talking about heaven. And I would invite you to turn to the passage that was read a moment ago in 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 13 where the Apostle Peter said, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. I want us to think for a moment or two tonight about the theme, everything that really matters is in heaven. There are a lot of things in this life that we treasure. And there are many things that we consider to be extremely valuable from a human vantage point. But when it's all said and done, really what matters most is where we will spend eternity. Things come and go. People come and go. But eternity, to know that we have the opportunity to spend eternity in a place called heaven. I have thought before about time. And we live in a world that is under the constraints of time. The Bible talks about how we ought to number our days so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. 100 years from now, where will you be? Where will I be? In all probability, those of us who are assembled here tonight will be in eternity. There may be some young folks here tonight that, by the grace of God, are still alive, and that would be wonderful. But one day, we will step outside this human veil of existence into eternity. And so everything that really matters is in heaven. So with that, I want us to think, first of all, about the promise of heaven. And then the second thing that I want us to do is to consider the people in heaven. A very simple lesson based on one verse. First, we think about the promise of heaven. Again, the Apostle Peter said, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. The Lord Jesus Christ had a lot to say about heaven. And we look at scripture and we think about some of the, the prophecies that point us in the direction of heaven. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 65 at verse 17, points to the new heavens and the new earth. And of course, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 13, underscores this very idea. John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, said he saw the new heavens and the new earth coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. When we talk about the prophecies or the promises that relate to heaven, the most classic verse that comes to my mind is John chapter 14. In John 14 verse one, Jesus of course is engaged in an extended dialogue with his apostles. He is preparing them for his eventual death 
resurrection and ascension to heaven. And so in chapter 14, he said, let not your heart, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus here made a profound promise to the apostles. Many times at funeral services, we will hear these words read. They are words of comfort, words of encouragement, words of inspiration. They point us to a better day and a better place. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, spoke with all authority. And he pointed to that heavenly place. And so as we think about the prophecies and the promises of heaven, to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has promised us an eternal abiding place. But then we think about the preparation of heaven. Again in John chapter 14, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ was born of a carpenter? He was a carpenter's son. And the carpenter's son, according to scripture, was the one who built the world as we know it. The Bible tells us in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was the agent by which the world, the universe as we know it, was made. God was the architect. Jesus was the agent by which the world then was brought into being. The same being that built this universe has promised to build us an eternal abiding place. That's a promise. Now there is a third thing that I would share with you along these lines and that is the place called heaven. Sometimes individuals have, have difficulty conceiving of an eternal abiding place. You and I, we are not privileged to employ what we call our empirical senses to see heaven or to touch heaven or to hear sounds from heaven. But we can read what the Bible has to say and through the eye of faith, we can see heaven just as vividly as any earthly city. Now Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare what? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a real city. It may, it may be difficult for us to wrap our minds around this heavenly city. In Revelation chapter 21, let me just invite you to look with me at Revelation chapter 21 for just a minute. Because in Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John 
provides us a glimpse into what we call the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city. In verse 1, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his, they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give up the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Now drop down and look at verse nine. In verse nine, here's what John records. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most, most precious stone, like a jasper stone, Clear as crystal. John here in a very vivid way speaks of this heavenly city, this real city, this real place. When you look at Revelation chapter 21, if you'll drop down and look at verse 21, John said in the long ago that the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. And the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. And its gates shall not be shut, its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Let me just pause here and say this. When we talk about this place called heaven and the beauty of it, and John uses language here to provide us some type of description so that we can vividly see this, this heavenly place. I do not believe that we can truly fathom the beauties of heaven. In no way would I, would I even try to leave the impression that the human language could describe the beauty and tranquility of this heavenly abode. But I know this. If the very God that created the world in which we live can make a world filled with beauty and splendor, 
how much greater heaven must be. And so the beauty and the blessings associated with heaven. I want us to think in the second place tonight about the people in heaven. The people in heaven, of course, they are the saved. John makes reference to that in Revelation chapter 21, that the saved are the ones who will spend eternity in heaven. As we think about the people who will be in heaven. There are two things that I want you to consider with me. First of all, heaven is the destiny of the redeemed. When we talk about heaven, we need to understand that heaven will be filled with people from every dispensation. You can go back and read about the great patriarchs who lived prior to the law of Moses. And we think about such great men as Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac. Men that lived by faith. Not only did they live by faith, the Bible says they died in faith in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. The writer said that they looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. When we talk about the redemptive story, God's redemptive plan, those who are saved and those who will be in heaven will be in heaven because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus goes backward in time to Adam. It extends forward in time until the second coming. And all of the saved, whether those who lived under the period of the patriarchs or those who lived under the law of Moses, those of us who live under the Christian dispensation, if we are saved, it will be because of the blood of Christ. But when we talk about heaven and the fact that it is the destiny of the saved, a moment ago I said that Jesus is preparing for us an eternal abiding place. The question that we might do well to ask, are we making preparation to one day be in heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for whom? Prepared people. Those who have made themselves right in the sight of Almighty God. When Jesus came into this world, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He was interested in saving people. The Lord is still in the business of saving people. And the reason is because he wants us to one day be with him in heaven. Now we understand that the Bible teaches in order for us to become a New Testament Christian, in order for us to enjoy the blessings of heaven, we've got to hear the gospel. Why do we preach and teach? Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. We are instructed to repent, just like they were on Pentecost Day, to turn from a life of sin in Acts 2, verse 38. To confess the name of Christ before others, as the eunuch did, as recorded by Luke in Acts 8, verse 37. To be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then to be faithful until death with the promise that one day God will bestow on us the crown of life, Revelation 2, at verse 10. Now I want us to just think for a moment about 
making preparation for heaven. In our Bible class this morning, we were talking about the subject of fear. And there are many aspects of fear that relate to life here on planet Earth. But one of the things that I think sometimes we as God's people have a tendency to do, we fear our relationship to the Lord. In other words, we fear whether or not we are in a saved condition. In other words, one day we feel saved, the next day we feel lost, the next day we feel saved, the next day we feel lost. You get the idea. We like confidence and assurance. I believe that God wants us to have confidence in our spiritual relationship. I believe the Lord wants us to have confidence as we go through this life that when we come to the end of life here on planet Earth, that we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are heaven bound. In 1 John chapter 5, John said, this is the testimony that God has given unto us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God does not have life. This is the testimony or this is the record What's that record that God's given us eternal life? Now, in verse 13, here's what John said. These things I have written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John here, writing to first century Christians and trying to instill in them a spirit of confidence or assurance to know that we're saved, to realize that God has saved us, that he, that he has cleansed us, that he has redeemed us, and that we are heaven bound. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus does what? It cleanses us from all sin. That's an assurance that we have from God. If God makes a promise, why not claim that promise? In 2 Corinthians chapter five, the apostle Paul talks about this earthly body, he calls it a tabernacle or a tent. He said, if the earthly house of our tabernacle or tent be dissolved, we have a building of God. But if you read verse one very carefully, you'll note that he said, for we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How did the apostle Paul know for a fact that there was something beyond this veil of tears? Well, the answer is revelation. Paul was an inspired man. Well, what about us? Can we have that same kind of confidence and assurance? Absolutely. Wherein do we gain this confidence? In this book that we call the Bible. That's why it's so important for us to read and to study this book, to know it. Because this book is, it's like a compass. It will safely guide us from planet Earth to heaven. So, heaven is the destiny of the redeemed. We ought to be confident in our salvation. We ought to know that if we are following what the Bible says, in other words, if we are walking in accordance with the precepts of Almighty God, that we have an ongoing relationship with the Lord and that that which awaits us is eternal life. 
Again, John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25 said this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Paul in Titus 1 verse 2 said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. That's not a think so or maybe so. That is a divine promise. We can bank on it. We can believe in it. It's real. So, heaven is the destiny of the redeemed, but heaven ought to also be the desire of the redeemed. When we talk about our desire as God's people, what is our ultimate desire? Well, hopefully one day to go to heaven. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse, well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks about to be present in the body is to be absent from the Lord. What did the Apostle Paul earnestly desire? He wanted to go be with the Lord, didn't he? In Philippians chapter 1, he would say, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 23, he would say, To depart and be with Christ is far better. Paul looked forward. He lived in anticipation of heaven. I said a minute ago that in our study tonight, we're thinking about everything that really matters is in heaven. When you begin to look at the scriptures and you, you think about heaven and all of the blessings and favors that we will one day enjoy in heaven, if you truly come to appreciate heaven, you'll see that everything that really matters is ultimately in that place that we call the New Jerusalem. So, let me just share with you some things that I believe underscore why heaven is a place that we desire. First of all, let me begin by saying that the Bible tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Now understand that we are citizens of the United States. It's a great blessing to be a citizen of this country. But when you begin to look at what the Bible says and our relationship to the world, we are citizens in this country. But in terms of our relationship to the world, we are pictured as pilgrims. We are literally passing through planet Earth. We have a greater destination. Now the Apostle Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3 at verse 20 that our citizenship or our commonwealth is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior. It is true that I'm a citizen of this country by birth, but I am a citizen of heaven by birth as well. I have been born again into the kingdom of God based on what Jesus said in John chapter three. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse five, he said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become citizens in the sense that that's our eternal home. That's our eternal abiding place. Listen, the Bible talks repeatedly about how we are aliens, strangers, pilgrims here on earth. Too many people in our world lock literally everything they have into the world. 
They forget about their heavenly citizenship. Secondly, the Bible says that our mind or affection is to be in heaven. In Colossians chapter three, Paul said, if then you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind or affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. What, what we need to do is develop a heavenly mindset. In other words, our hopes, our aspirations, our dreams, our goals ought to be in heaven. That's what we ought to, to ultimately aspire to aspire for, and that is to one day be with the Lord. There are a lot of times that, that we sing about heaven, we read about heaven, but is our mind truly in heaven? Look at the Apostle Paul. I really believe when you look at the life of Paul and you begin to read the books that he penned by inspiration, Paul's heart, his mind, his affections, his thoughts were in heaven constantly. That's what he thought about. And as children of God, we ought to think about those things as well. Then thirdly, I would submit that the Bible says our treasures are in heaven. I understand that we have earthly treasures. We've been blessed with homes, land, money, material goods, clothing, etc. All of those things are well and good, and God has blessed us immensely with the treasures of this life but there's something far greater than earthly treasures. You see, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter six that our ultimate treasure ought to be in heaven where neither thieves can break in and steal and where moth does not corrupt, taint, destroy. The bottom line is where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's why it ought to be the desire of the redeemed because that's where our treasures are. I said a moment ago that there are a lot of people in our world today, they have literally hooked their wagons to the world. Well, if what really means the most to us is in heaven, then that would suggest that our treasures are in that beautiful place. Number four, the Bible says our name is written in heaven. In Luke chapter 10 at verse 20, Jesus said rejoice because your names are written in heaven. When you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, your name was entered in the book of life. Paul writes in Philippians chapter four and talks about those whose names are in the book of life. In Revelation chapter 20, John talks about the judgment scene. And he said the small and the dead are standing before the throne of God and the books are opened. He's talking there about the Bible. But then he said another book was opened which is the book of life. To know that our names are in the book of life. It may be the case that your name is in a book that has been penned by somebody here on planet earth but to know that your name is recorded in heaven and that God has placed your name in the book of life. Did you know that one day God will open this book called the Bible and judge you and me 
from the contents that are contained in what we call scripture. But John said there's another book that's going to be opened. The other book that will be opened is the book of life. And to hear our name called out from that beautiful book. And then fifthly, the Bible says that our reservation is in heaven. Maybe you're planning a trip. Maybe you're going to another city, another state, another country, and you've made reservations. Well, the Bible speaks of that heavenly country. And the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about that incorruptible, undefiled place that's called heaven. And he said, it is reserved for you. Have you made reservations? If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, then you've made reservations. I have told the story before and I'll tell it again because I think it emphasizes the point here. The late Franklin Kemp, who was a great Bible student, was asked on one occasion if he knew whether or not he was going to heaven. And his response was, absolutely. And the reason, because he said, I've made reservations. I hope you've made reservations. Sixthly, I would suggest that heaven is the desire of the redeemed because the Bible says our Lord will be there. Over and over again, we read about that heavenly city. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 4, the Bible pictures the throne room of God. In chapter 5, we have the throne room of the Lamb. The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes again, we shall see him as he is, for we shall be like him. Can you imagine what it will be to stand face to face with deity? To be in the presence of Almighty God forevermore? I can't even begin to fathom those thoughts. And then finally, I would suggest that heaven is the desire of the redeemed because our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ will be there. Paul talked about heaven. Paul in the long ago when death was imminent, spoke of that crown of life which the Lord, the righteous judge, would give to him. I think about all of the people that I have been blessed to know through the years. I can't tell you how many people that I've had the opportunity to meet, to get to know, to grow to love because of the blessings that have been afforded me to be to be a gospel preacher. I've known a lot of great people, a lot of humble servants. Tonight I was looking at a book before services and on the inside cover of the book that I was looking at, I read a note. A Christian couple had given this book to Nancy and me in October of 1989. They were an aged couple. I have no doubt they are now well into eternity. But you see, I look forward to seeing people that I have known and loved through the years. Now, sometimes people ask the question, will we really know one another in heaven? I am convinced 
The Bible teaches us we will know one another. I can't imagine being in the presence of God and being with people of every dispensation and not knowing the people that I had been blessed and privileged to spend time with here on planet Earth. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures along these lines. In Genesis chapter 25 at verse 8, the Bible speaks of the death of Abraham. Abraham was called the friend of God. And the Bible tells us that he was gathered to his people. That expression does not depict the body. But rather, I think what Moses is recording there is that he was reunited with his people. Where? In that eternal realm that we call Hades. In the New Testament, the Bible defines it as paradise, Abraham's bosom. It's the home of the redeemed. And then I think about, I think about David. David, you recall, lost an infant son. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 at verse 23, David said in the long ago, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me again. Don't you know it'll be a sweet reunion when mamas and daddies are reunited with their children and vice versa? When grandchildren are reunited with their grandparents? When brothers and sisters are once again brought together and reunited? Think about the people that we sit beside from week to week and we sing praise to God and we pray in the presence of God and we take communion with one another. And to know that one day we'll be in heaven together. That ought to inspire us. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, we read about Moses and Elijah in the presence of Jesus when he was transfigured on the mount or on the mountaintop. They had retained their identity, had they not? Moses and Elijah, they were real people, and one day they will be in that place called heaven. And I think we'll have the opportunity to meet them, to know them, as well as some of the other great men and women of God. And then the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, both had died, both had stepped out into eternity, but they retained their identities. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 at verse 19, the apostle Paul, Paul had been to the city of Thessalonica he had preached the gospel to those people and they had turned from idols to serve the living and true God according to chapter 1. In chapter 2, he asked the question, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? His response, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Think about Paul and the great number of people that he no doubt had a part in converting to the cause of Christ. Can you imagine Paul being in heaven and not knowing and not seeing the people that he had helped to convert to Christ? To know that one day we can be in the presence of God and we can look around and see other people that are in heaven because of our influence, because of our willingness to take the time to teach the word of God to them. Let me close by saying this. Everything that really matters is in heaven. 
there are, there are a lot of things on planet Earth that may be very special to you. But ultimately, what ought to be the most special thing in the world to you is to know that one day you can be in heaven with God. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I, I urge you to come to Christ, to believe that he is the son of God, to obey the gospel, to be baptized into Christ, to know that every sin's washed away, Acts 2.38. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, why not come back? The Bible tells us that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Could we encourage you tonight to come as we stand and sing?